morning. We're glad you're here with us today, and um, we're going to continue. I, I, we started out last week speaking to you. Uh, our base, I guess our root scripture that is inspiring this first several messages of this year is Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We talked last week about the reality that every, every morning we wake up and put our feet on the floor, we have to answer that big if. And it is a really big if, isn't it? There's some requirements, there's some expectations, and some things in our lives that God wants to do that is contingent upon that if. And if we're going to do something, God's going to do something in return. Now, now that doesn't mean everything is dependent upon us. Amen? God is sovereign. True? But there are some things when, when we need, when we're in a place of sin in our lives, as Israel, he was warning Israel about some things, you need to come back. You need to come back and humble yourself. And, and uh, we talked about that if last week. We talked about Abraham. If he could choose not to believe, he could have chosen that, but he chose to believe instead. David, he could have said no in pertain, uh, pertaining to facing Goliath. And the di- disciples could have refused and stayed with their boats and nets. But that moment, that if moment was answered appropriately and correctly. And, uh, and this is our lives, folks. This is who we are. Every day, our entire life, our entire walk with Christ is made up of these if moments if we're going to choose to follow Him. Now, a lot of people talk about coming to the altar and giving your life to Christ and weeping tears and all that. Listen, that's good. That's a good starting place. But repentance is not a one-time thing. Now, that doesn't mean you lose your salvation over and over and over and over and got to keep coming to the altars to get resaved. What that means is is that when I recognize sin in my life, that maybe the Spirit pricks my heart and points out to me, I need to repent of it right then and move on and continue to obey the Christ. Amen? Amen. So this one-time repentance is not a word thing to me and say, I repented and now I'm just okay, I'm saved and do whatever I want. That's not true. We need to walk with an attitude of obedience to Christ. Every day has that if question about it and we need to do that. So we've got to humble ourselves, and it's a choice, it's not a feeling. We talked about praying and seeking His face, and and listen folks, that's a choice too, it's not a feeling, and nobody can pray and seek His face for me. You don't pay your your pastor to pray and seek God's face for you. It's like, wow, he's not even started, and he's already being mean to us. Listen, that's not what I get paid to do. Now, obviously, I'll pray and seek God's face for you in this, the extent of what message will I bring to you this week. I'll be, I'll be at your, your home when you're sick or the hospital or funerals, you name it. I'll be there. But the truth of the matter is, is my responsibility is to help lead you into leading your life closer to Christ. Amen? Amen? Not to do it for you. We must turn from our wicked ways and repent. Nobody can repent for us. That's something we have to do. It's a decision. It's a choice. When we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday, we talked about repentance. And uh, we were actually talking about our tongue and and using our tongue in negative ways. And um, I said, you need to just shut your mouth and repent. And when I did, little Lennox, almost two years old, on Shayla's lap, on her mom's lap, said, repent. (laughs) I think it was the coolest moment on a Wednesday night ever. I was like, hey, somebody's finally getting it. A little two-year-old. So we, nobody can repent for us. And then if we do these things, God's promised to hear from heaven. Folks, forgive our, our sin and heal our land. Sounds a little bit like revival. Sounds a little bit like what everybody's wanting to see happen all the time. 
people humbling themselves before God, people seeking Him passionately, people turning from their wickedness and repenting of their sins, lives changed, and the result of it is, is sins forgiven given and healings taking place. That's what people all want to see, isn't it? So we're focusing in on this stuff here this, for the next few weeks. I want to talk to you about humility today. But you can't talk about humility without talking about the opposite of humility, which is pride. The first thing that we're told to do is to humble ourselves. If, if my people who are called by my name will, and the first thing is humble. If we will humble. It's a decision. And I want to tell you today... That humbling ourselves is a lot more than a posture. Humbling is more than a posture. You say, what are you talking about? Well, we, if we were to come in before a king, we could bow down to a king and still, posture-wise, appear as though we're serving him, as though we're humble before him, and the reality of it is in our heart, hate the man severely. Humility goes beyond an external presentation of who we are. You say, what do you mean? How can you say it? Well, let's just use Judas for an example. When Judas went to deny and, and Christ and stand there and, and to turn him over, how did he greet Jesus? Come on, give me a kiss. He comes up and he gives Jesus a kiss on the cheek. A very humble, brotherly greeting. Externally, looks like a good close friend. But internally, turning him over to be tortured and killed. You see, humility is more than a posture. It's more than an external work. The rich young ruler, he looked at Jesus, he said, Hey, good teacher, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, Why are you calling me good teacher? Only God is good. You see, he came to Jesus and he had, he had the right way to approach him. He had the, the, the external way of looking like he respected him as a good teacher, as a godly teacher. But when Jesus told him what to do, his lifestyle showed that in his heart he had no desire to obey him. That's not humility and humbling yourself before someone. Amen? You want to hear a concern I have? That here in Covington, Indiana, in the good old U.S. of A., in our area, in the Midwest, what we're really good at is, is raising our children to have the appearance of humility, to say the right things, to do the right things, to be good people, but inside their hearts completely throw off their willingness to obey and serve God. It's not humility. It's an external teaching by man that makes them look like they're supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it's very deceptive because pride sets in and we're not obeying Christ and what He has said. It's already quiet, Pastor Sam. Hey, do you have anything you, you'd be willing to preach? Because I think they're not getting this one. <laughs> Remember in the parable about the two sons? And the one son, they said, hey, go work in my vineyard. And the first son says, sure, Father, yes, 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 I'll do it. I'll go do it, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And then he turns off. And, and he doesn't do it. And the other son comes up and says, No, Father, I won't do it. And on the way, he felt convicted and went and worked in the field. And they said, which one, was, which one was obedient? Well, they said, Obviously, the second one. Folks, this, this is who we are a lot of times. We come to church and say, Yes, 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 yes. And then when we turn around and we walk away, we don't apply what we've just said yes about. You see, that's not humility. 
That's posture. That's, that's an external posture of bowing. We raise our hands. That's a posture. But true humility toward the one that we're following would be the one that would not just raise their hands in service, but live it outside the walls once they leave the building. Pastor's just shredding us to pieces, and he's hardly even started this morning. Oh, trust me. Don't worry. It's going to get worse. It's okay. It's not a new thing, this posture humility that's not true humility is not a new thing. Uh, Isaiah spoke of it. Jesus referred to it in Isaiah 29, 13. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. You say, what are you, what are you talking about? There's a tendency, you know, in Christian life and in church in, in America here, there's lingo, there's words we use, there's things that if you can learn the lingo, you can, lingo, you can sound really spiritual. And you can, you can even talk the talk, but you don't have to walk the walk. You know what I'm saying? You can have the posture of humility, but not live the humility. I'll give you an example. You know, one thing that we talked about Wednesday night, we were discussing a little bit of some of this, is that, that here in America, we have naughty words. You know, you don't say the naughty words. There's a list of naughty words. That nobody writes down the list of naughty words because nobody writes. That's naughty. You don't write the naughty words. And you don't talk about the naughty words. You don't even spell out the naughty words. And you're not even supposed to text little letters in a row that mean the naughty words either. Those are naughty words. And if you're a Christian, you stay away from the naughty words because the naughty words are naughty. And as long as we don't say the naughty words, then we're using our mouths appropriately. Pastor, I quit cussing a long time ago. Well, listen, I understand that, and I appreciate the fact that we're not using swear words and cursing and so on and so forth. That's good and that's important, but, but if that's the standard, it's still short of God. You say, what are you talking about? If the standard is not to say naughty words, we can still say some words that are acceptable, but with a motive of, a, a motive of destroying other people, can't we? Without saying one naughty word. I can text gossip and slander without saying one naughty word. I can put all kinds of stuff on Facebook that would destroy and run other people down without saying one naughty word. My point is this. We in America in the church try to set up a culture of holiness when we miss it when we stop teaching the Word of God and start teaching the rules and standards of men. Why? What we've done when we do that is, is we've done something prideful. Not humble. What, pastor, do you think I should let my kids curse and everything? No. What is my problem in my throat today? No. Don't let your kids curse. Obviously, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying stop living by the culture of the church and start living by the Word of God. Amen? Stop living by what the culture says is acceptable and humble yourselves. So we're going to talk about pride versus humility here for a little bit. Why does God hate pride so, 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 so much. Why does God hate pride so much? People say, that's really mean. God look in and hate pride. Does anybody here love it when people are prideful and full of themselves? Thank you, Larry. Good to have you back, Larry. It was getting quiet in here. I'm glad you're back to amen me and help answer questions and whatnot. <laughs> Why does God hate, hate pride so much? First of all, pride is an antichrist mentality. 
Pride is an anti-God mentality. What it wants to do is, is set itself up and destroy the throne of God and establish self on that throne. That is the desire of pride. That is his motive. That is pride's want. That is pride's whole scheme and plan in everything that it does. Is to destroy God and exalt self. You see, when, when the disciples had seen Jesus, Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I've said, people say, wow, wow, Bob, God is full of himself, demanding me to worship him. Who is he demanding me to worship? Listen, God is God. He will be worshiped. And the only part of creation that's not worshiping him now is us. The part that was made in his likeness, and that has, because we've been made in his likeness, has become full of pride, like Satan himself, and has raised ourselves up and has stopped praising and worshiping God. Everything else is doing it. The trees still point to heaven. The mountains are still big and beautiful. The waves still crash. The birds still chirp. The bees still buzz. You go on and on and on with all this stuff. There, everything is still worshiping God except for... Why? It's because of pride. So we all say this about God. Well, what is the mentality of God? Who is He? Well, we see it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Paul says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So what is that? Full of myself and have everybody worshiping me? No. No. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So in other words, when we walk in opposition to this mentality that says, I will die for the cause of my Father. When we walk opposite of that, we've set ourselves up in pride against him. When we have an attitude other than that of Christ that says, Lord, I don't need you. I don't want to hurt for you. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be talked about. I don't want to be accused of anything. Listen, I'm going to do it my own way. I don't really need this. Then what we have done is we've already accepted and received the mentality of Satan himself. And said, God, I will not. I choose my own path. I will be my own God. You see, the path of following God is a path of humility, not a path of pride. And it concerns me because here in, in America today, there's so much influence by the world. There's so much influence in pastors' lives by the world. And I, I've seen them. They're a dime a dozen. They're full of themselves. they got an agenda. They're trying to climb the ladder. They've got the things going on physically. I was like, oh, what's up? And they got the hair thing going and the tight little Mickey Mouse shirt on tucked into the pants. Those of you that were at men's thing a couple years ago know what I'm talking about. I, listen, I, I'm not saying it's wrong to dress a certain way, but, but when everything we do is influenced by the world and not influenced by the Spirit of God, we've got a problem. Amen. And you say, why is that a problem? Why is there so much pride and attitude in pastors' lives nowadays? Well, here's why. Uh, in the King James Version, in 1 John 2.16, it says... For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Amen. The pride of life. The pride of life. Proud of who I am. Everything that I do. When we live in that way, we are living opposite of God. And some, some people say, Pastor Bob, now pride is a good thing in some cases. Yeah, self-respect is a good thing. We use the word pride in there. And sometimes it's blown out of context. Well, shouldn't we take pride in how we dress? Shouldn't we take pride in it? Yes, yes, you should have self-respect. But pride is one of these things that's self-exalting and self-glorifying. 
At its root, pride is satanic. Turn with me to Ezekiel 28. If you would. Pride in its, in its root of its very nature is birthed from Satan himself. Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 17 says, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were, were created till wickedness was found in you. Though your, through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud in account of your beauty, and, your corrupted, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. What Ezekiel is saying here through God, or God's saying through Ezekiel, is saying very clearly that this king entire, because of his prideful attitude, is being compared to the very nature of Satan himself. And God's saying, look, this is who you are. This is who you have become. And we see a glimpse. We see a small picture of who Satan was while he was in heaven. Just a little glimpse. You say, Pastor, it was God that made sin because God made Satan. It says right there that he made him and he designed him as he was. But because he was so beautiful, because he was so splendorous and gorgeous, he decided to go ahead and allow himself to be self-exalted and wickedness was found in him. He was made perfect. He was made blameless according to the Scripture until wickedness was found in Him. You say, what are you saying? So were we. In the garden, we were made perfect and blameless until that serpent came in and we caught a glimpse of His pride and and, and it stirred up in Eve and and Adam accepted it and let it go and together they exalted themselves to a place that only God should have been. And today, we are where we are because of that. Isaiah makes a reference to the same event, and this is in the King James Version, in Isaiah 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? You say, why King James? Because the NIV will say morning star, and I just don't like that translation. Because Jesus is referred to as the morning star also. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the, in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit." Do you ever get nervous when you're talking to somebody and the only words out of their mouth is I? Every other word's I, 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 I. Well, I just, I think, I want this, I, I believe, I, 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 I. And you say, I've heard the word I a whole bunch in those sentences. Does that ever make you nervous? It makes me nervous. You say, Pastor, you say it all the time. Well, I'm preaching right now, so. I'm preaching. I'm supposed to say I when I'm preaching. 
it makes me nervous. And when you meet pastors and ministers and that's all that's coming out of their mouth is what I've done and I've done this and I've done that and God, you know, whoa, what about the Holy Spirit? What did God do? Listen, this, this attitude of Satan is talking about self-exaltation. And, and, and his heart was to be God, to dethrone him, to be his own leader. And folks, that's why one reason why God hates it. It's an antichrist spirit. It's satanic in nature. That's why pride is detestable. Now, next week, we're going to discuss more about how to define pride and define it in my life. But today, we're just going to continue to do this. Why does God hate sin or hate pride? Because pride breeds prayerlessness. It breeds prayerlessness. It builds a wall between you and God. It closes the ceiling off. It says, says, no, I don't really want to hear from him. You say, how can you say that? Because if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face then. You say, why, why is this such a big deal? Why was humility first? Because nobody has anything to say to God until they're humbled before him. Nobody's going to seek God if they're not humble before Him, if they don't want to know. The only people that seek God and pray are the people that actually know Him and want to know Him and realize that they have a need for Him in their life and they can't live without Him. Those are the people that are actually going to pray to begin with. Well, what about the repentance thing? You have nothing to repent of if you're not humble. You're not going to repent of something if if you've not humbled yourself to Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Why should you repent? See, Proverbs 28.9 says, If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. Or an abomination, the King James Version says. What's that saying? It says the person that has been taught the law of God, hears the law of God, thinks it might be hard, difficult, old-fashioned, not going to live by it, doesn't apply to my life. And they say, I'm going to live by my own set of rules, I'll be a good person, I won't hurt anybody, surely God will let me into heaven someday. You ever know anybody like that? I've known a lot of people like that. So they they live that way, and then they want things, and then they want more things, and I'm not going to submit to God, I'm not going to obey His law, but then when something bad happens, I'm going to pray to Him. Listen, that prayer is detestable. It's an abomination because you are not surrendered to Him. Your pride has exalted you to your own godly status, and the only prayer that He wants to hear from you is, is, Lord, forgive me of my sins, I am a sinner. Anything else that says, I'm going to live however I want to live, and God, would you please give me a Cadillac? Would you give me a nice house? Would you give me a million dollars? God, would you fix this and fix that in my life, but stay out of my life? Don't direct my life. Just fix my life so it's a good life so that I'm happy without you. That's a detestable prayer, is it not? How many parents like it when your kids come and ask for stuff after they've been disobedient and hateful? Get out of my face. You ain't even told me you're sorry yet. Want ten bucks. Get out of here! Worthless, little, no good. Just kidding, I don't say that to him. I think it in my heart, but I don't. <laughs> you know, doing wrestling moves. I think that's why God said, no, Bob, you can't, you can't have that authority. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm done talking to you. Prayerlessness is the very first sign of pride. So we, we've got to make sure that, that friends, if, if you have stopped praying and seeking Christ, if your life, if you have gotten too busy to get on your face before God occasionally, then there's probably a level of pride that's set in and said, I can handle this on my own. Amen. So, so we've got to get that back to a place of humility. Why does God hate pride? Because pride brings division. It brings division. Proverbs 13.10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Pride only breeds quarrels. Pastor, why are there so many split and divided churches? Pride. 
No, 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 it was that preacher's fault. No, 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 it was that deacon's fault. No, 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 it was so-and-so's fault. No, it was pride. Because pride breeds quarrels. Has anybody ever been in an argument before? Anybody ever come out of the argument and the Holy Spirit slap you upside the head and say, you should not have done that? I got my hand up. That's... You see, the division in our homes and our families, the divorce rates and all of this stuff going up here in America, why is that? It's because of pride. Because nobody wants to live by the law of God anymore. Nobody wants to settle themselves into humility underneath the power of God. And, 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 and say, Pastor, well, the reason the churches are, are splitting is because they've gotten so big and they're too, they're too big and they're healthy, so we've got to, you know, kind of like a cell, you know, they split off. No, it's because of pride. It's fighting, it's bickering from within, it's arguing, it's hatred, it's backstabbing and, and all the things that are stirred up by pride. Why so many divisions? You know, you know people hate us. You know, people hate us because we're Pentecostal. They hate us. They really, it's like they hate our church. I'm sick and tired of hearing people say, you can't go to that church. You can't go to that church. That's a Pentecostal church. Last time I checked, Satan walks in the doors of every one of these churches in town. Just because we live by the Word of God and, and we look in Acts chapter 1 and 2 and, and we also, through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 15, we understand the gift and use of the, the use of the gifts of the Spirit and people hate us for that. Am I not preaching the Word of God today? Listen, I don't hate people and I'm not going to go after other denominations because I have denominations, friends in other denominations that I love dearly that don't agree with this and we get along and we agree to disagree and that's wonderful. But what about the ones that look at us and think that they're the only ones going to heaven? I told them in the first service, I said, you know what I'm going to do when I get there? I'm going to go to their house and go, come, 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 come. And they open the door and go, and then I'm going to go. Lord, forgive me for that. That was wrong. Listen, I, I, I love my brothers and sisters in other denominations. And I give, we go back and forth giving each other hard times. But listen, some of that stuff has been so rooted and stupid that they have hindered people from growing in Christ. Because, because they've gotten connected to a church and some well-to-do, prideful, self-righteous idiot walks up and starts telling them that that church is this and that church is this and this church is that and begins to divide and kill people before they even really get to know Jesus Christ. That's what I hate. I've never gone to anybody and said, you don't need to go to that church. You don't ever need to go to that church. We've never done that here. I would never do that here because there are brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet I hear it all the time, people saying, you can't go to that church. People shouldn't go to your church. And I'm about sick and tired of it. Do you know what that is? That's pride, folks. That is a sin that is deeply rooted in our culture. In the Christian culture today, it's called pride. And everybody thinks that they have it all right and that they all have it figured out and that they all know everything. If that day comes, just slap me upside the head as quick as you can. Would you please? When we get to the point to where I think I know everything and that we've got the whole Bible figured out and all the depths of the wisdom of the knowledge of God is resting inside of this vessel right here, would somebody just please shoot me in the head and get it over with? It's no. That's stupid. It's nothing but pride. Nothing but pride. 
And it's divisive. And God hates it because when the body is divided, it doesn't work as well. If you don't believe me, cut off a leg or something. See if it works. It doesn't work as well. And when the body of Christ is separated, it's not going to work as well either. Pride will keep us from apologizing. Pride can cause us to defend ourselves. Pride can cause us to look down on others. And if we allow it to, pride will rob us of every healthy and good relationship in our life. I need to move on. Pride next, why does God hate pride? Pride builds self up by tearing others down. Pride builds self up by tearing others down. The King James Version in Psalm, 1, in Psalm 31 verse 20, Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. God's promise is to hide us in his presence from the pride of man. Do you like that song, His Presence is Heaven to Me? Whoa! I like the verses. Jesus, you're the cup that won't run dry. That's good stuff. In his presence, he hides us from the pride of man and from the pavilion of the strife of tongues. Listen, evil speaking, slander, and gossip, these types of things are a direct result of pride. In my my study for this, it's, it's not surprising. Do you know the word devil comes from the word diablo, which means slanderer? Slanderer. Our accuser, the devil... He's a lying accuser. He's a slanderer, a gossip. He is the one that stands before God and accuses us. You see, we have this tendency to exalt ourselves and to raise ourselves up on the seat of judge and jury and then look down on other people. And we build ourselves up, which is absolutely and completely opposite of the Word of God. Why does God hate pride? Because we tear down people instead of building them up for His purpose. You say, what are you talking about? I'll give you an example. Let's say a Sunday school teacher is teaching a class of little kids, and they come to the passage of Scripture, and they say, hey, look, you see here where this Pharisee is praying, and then we see here where this, this, uh, this sinner, this tax collector is, is praying, this publican, whatever you want to call it, depending on the versions. And, and he's sitting there saying, wow, this, this, this Pharisee looks over, and he sees this man weeping, and he goes, see, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm, I'm not like this, this lowly tax collector. And yet he's over here beating his chest saying, Lord, forgive me for I am a sinner. And then Jesus in that parable, he says, hey, you know, which one's prayer was heard? And, heard. and they're like, well, yeah, the guy that was humble, the guy that was broken. And then the teacher teaches that to the kids and she says, okay, now let's, let's close out and let's pray and thank God that we're not like that Pharisee. You see it? You hear it? That's, that's how we are. It's pulling things out and saying, my life isn't as bad as theirs. I, I'm better off. You know, I think that's why daytime TV, the soap operas and all that kind of stuff was so big for so long and, and people would sit there and watch that because my life can't be as bad as that. You know? <laughs> Reality television, you just sit there and eat popcorn and say, oh, I'm miserable, but boy, those poor people, they're awful. My life's pretty good. We, we're always here in America trying to run people down to build ourselves up. It happens in school all the time with, with teenagers. Anybody ever been through middle school before? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to, let's just not even say it. 
The bad thing is, as you grow up and you leave middle school and you go into high school and it still happens. And then you go out of high school into college and yeah, it still happens. And then you go into the workforce and it seems to get worse than it was even in college. <laughs> so it's not going to go away, but the only thing we can do is make sure that we are not a part of it. We can make sure that we are separate. And here's some, here's some quotes that are really good. A proud man is suspicious of everyone else, while a humble man is more suspicious of his own heart than anyone else. The proud heart will detect defects in others before himself, while a humble soul sees the evil in his own heart before he sees evil in others. Wesley said this, Gossip is anything you would say about someone that you wouldn't say if they were standing in front of you. Just so that we get clarity on gossip real quick. Hold on, let me read that again. Gossip is anything you would say about someone that you wouldn't say if they were standing in front of you. And you see, when we do that, our attitude is to run them down to other people and build ourselves up. Connection between pride and slander is clearly seen in Psalm 101.5. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. Folks, let's stop bringing division in the body of Christ. Let's stop running people down. Let's stop exalting ourselves by putting others down. In the process of running people down, in the process of saying things about people, we have an attitude that will highly exalt ourselves and over-exalt ourselves about even beyond a level of goodness that's far beyond anything that we really are. And Spurgeon talked about this. He said, look, he said, uh, uh, Samson killed a lion and went home and didn't even tell his mom and dad. He killed a lion with his bare hands and didn't even go tell anybody. He didn't tell his mom and dad. But yet in today's society, with today's Christians, if we so much as kill a mouse, we're ready to declare victory so that everybody can get, come gather around us. Every little thing we do, we're just looking for somebody to build us up all the time. Oh, pastor. Pastor friends all over the place, depressed and upset because their people don't stroke their little egos and, and, and just make them feel wonderful all the time. Listen, it is not, we are not called to feel wonderful about ourselves. We are called not to declare and promote ourselves. We are called to declare and promote Jesus Christ. Period. That's it. And it doesn't matter if you're a pastor, if you're a person that's a member of our church in this place today, that is what you were called to. All the, the disciples, the apostles, they were beat down and punished and hurt for all the, the faith that they had in Christ. And they weren't complaining about, oh, nobody likes me, I'm not the most popular pastor in the district. Who cares if you're the most? I don't care. I don't want to be the most popular pastor in the district. Last thing I need is more people calling me. Don't call me and ask me to do anything, preachers. Brother Gifford, I love you, but I'm, I kind of got my hands full here. I don't know what I'm doing the way it is. We need to humble ourselves and quit seeking for the glory of men. I've got to hurry up. I'm totally off my notes and i got more to say. And I'm sorry. I know I had a resolution to preach shorter this year. It's just not working out. The Bible, you say, why, why is it such a big deal? Why do we have to think we're so wonderful? When we set ourselves up on a throne and begin to judge people, here's some good reminders to us to remind us that we really are in the wrong place and we should not be doing this. 
Um, it is of God's love that we have, have been drawn to Him. As a Christian, there's no reason to look down on other people because you and I, apart from God, are just like them. We're just like them. It's because of His everlasting arms being under us that we are kept. It's only because the only way that you and I are sustained in Christ is because of His mercy and grace, not because you and I are so just wonderful. It is by His faith that we are saved. It's by His blood that we are cleansed. It's by His righteousness that we are clothed. It is by His power that we are kept. It's by His grace that we are sustained. It's by His intercession that we are delivered. It's by His goodness that we are led to repentance. It's by His indwelling Spirit that we are filled. And it all comes from the Father. And the Son carried it out and made it available to us. And it's propelled by the Holy Spirit. You and I are not that great a people. It's a humbling thing to realize when God looks into my life and says, Bob, I'm going to use you. I go, huh? Seriously? And the majority of the congregation went, really? And everybody in town goes, Bobby Fairchild? (laughs) But yet God in His mercy goes, I'll use you. Okay. There's times I come in and I sit down behind my desk and go, what in the world am I doing here? I'm serious. It's only by God's grace. It's not because I'm so wonderful. I mean, I, it's not because my head's swelling up because I'm just so perfect and great and people rubbing my head, you're just so good. I mean, that's not what this is from. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's... Lastly, as Amber comes, I need, to, I need to close this out. I don't know. I Good grief. Oh, yes, as Amber comes. Pride leads to destruction. And and this is why God hates it, because He loves His creation. And by pride, we we run ourselves into self-destruction. We do it ourselves. We we willingly and knowingly run ourselves into self-destruction. Proverbs 16.8, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. Now, some people look at me and say, Pastor, that's not true. That's not true, because, because I know people that are very humble and know Jesus, and they've been through so much. You know, God, God's not shown Himself faithful in their life. They've had struggle after struggle, and, and that, that Scripture's not true. I've even had people say before that you can't read the Proverbs and take them literal as principles uh, of the Word of God because, because they're not 100% accurate. Listen, you have to read the, the, the Proverbs with an eternal standpoint here. You say, why? Because I know people that are great people that have been destroyed uh, by accidents or so on and so forth, if you're just looking at life. But you can't destroy a believer, even if their life is lost. However, a prideful person that refused to submit themselves to Christ can be destroyed eternally, even if they live their life in luxury and blessing. Have you ever known prideful people that have lived in luxury and blessing? Yeah. Have you ever known humble people that uh, have, have lived their life in trouble and strife? I, I do. I know a couple people, precious people, used to be a part of our church. Both of them have gone on to be with the Lord. I, anytime I think of something like this, I think of, I think of Dorothy and Mervyn Cotterell. Those of you that have been a part of our church a long time, you remember Dorothy Cotterell, you remember Mervyn. Mervyn and Dorothy, Dorothy, man, they went through it all. All of it. And for some self-righteous Christian to look into their life, they can say, well, there must be something off of their life because, see, God's not blessing them. God's not this. And God, listen, man, you talk about blessed. These people were precious. 
And I was a kid and it got to be comical for me a little bit because I'm sitting in the back eating my corn nuts and, and beef jerky and I'm watching and I keep hearing Dorothy and, and Mervyn were in a car accident. I mean, in the hospital, bad condition. I'm like, good grief, those people. And I don't know, I think, didn't their house like partially cave in once? Like the basement or something like that? Like just, they're sitting there eating and whew, What was that? I mean, one thing, throat cancer, uh, cancer, both of them had cancer and, and all of these things. I remember Mervyn coming back from that car accident on their way home from Florida, I think it was, and they were in a car accident and they were about killed and they were in real bad condition and Mervyn had, had lost most of his voice because of cancer and he stood up and he's sitting right there about where Reetha is. They were sitting there and, and, and Mervyn stood up and he said, Pastor, I just want to declare the goodness of God in my life. He protected us in an accident we should have lost our lives in. And I want to give him glory because he's been so good to us over the years. The man had no voice and he stood up and began to declare the goodness of God in his life. And he had been without luxury. He had faced trouble after trouble. He had faced bodily issue after bodily issue. Listen, folks, we are not talking in the principles of life of a person that's humble is going to face luxuries the rest of our lives. There's a promise of hope for us in eternity. For the one that is prideful, you may have luxuries the rest of your life, but there's a day of destruction that's coming if it doesn't happen on this side. That's the difference. Why does God hate it? Because it destroys eternal lives that He is intended to be in relationship with Him for eternity. Turn to Ezekiel 16 with me, if you will. Last verse, and I'm done. When you have a group of people that are ignorant of their pride, it then becomes a nation of pride. And folks, we live in a nation of pride, I'm sorry to say. Now this, this verse I'm about to read to you came to me a few months, a couple months ago and just humbled me to no end. And it talks about the sin of Sodom and, Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, as Christians, what we have done is we have too often set ourselves up on a judgment seat against the homosexual community in our nation and say, you're the reason that our nation will be judged. My friends, it's not. They are not the reason our nation will be judged. Again, the, the increase of homosexuality in our communities, I have dear friends that are homosexual. I have, I have, we have people that have gone through our church that are, that are living a homosexual lifestyle, many, many of them. And, and I, I love them and I pray for them and I, I'm in relationship with them. But listen to me very closely today. If we read this correctly in Ezekiel 16, that's not the reason we're being judged. Let's look at it. Verses 49 and 50. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant. Prideful. The King James Version says pride, full of pride. Do you know that pride will always set in before any other sin will? It's the root of a sin. And as a nation and as a people and as individuals, we, have, we are no better to raise ourselves up and judge anyone else for it. Amen? God's not going to judge us for the sin of homosexuality. He's going to judge us for all of our sins. For the lusts of our hearts and for the greed of our, for money and so on. And we could go down the whole thing and you tell me if we don't deal with all this in America. We go on. Not only was there pride... 
Their pride was fed by what? They were overfed and unconcerned. The King James Version says, fullness of bread and abundance of idleness. Now you tell me, here in America, are we overfed? We are. And because we are so blessed, we've exalted ourselves up to be like God. And we've begun to make our own laws and our own rules. We've begun to establish our own rules for morality. And and, and we're we're headed down this path that says, God, I'm setting myself up as my own God. I don't need you anymore. I don't need your rules. I don't need your laws. And we have a time of excessive idleness. Advances in in automobiles and cars and so on and so forth. People people don't even hardly have to work anymore, folks. And and as, as entitlement increases, people that are able to work won't. Because why should I if it's given to me? Now, I'm talking about people that don't have a disability. I'm talking about people that are not elderly and have paid in their whole lives. Okay, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about young men and young women that are able to work and just don't want to. They want to stay at home and play video games all day long. And everybody else to pay their bills. Listen to me. That is called an avenue of, of, of increased idleness, an abundance of idleness. And when we have these things, a prideful people that are overfed in their luxuries, there's an abundance of idleness and free time. It will always lead into depravity. And the depravity says extreme selfishness. What's that? It says, it says very simply right here, they did not help the poor and needy. Why? Because they spent every single dime on themselves. They consumed it all on themselves. They had nothing off to offer. The luxuries and the opportunities that God had given them, the, the excess that God had given them, was all spent on themselves and said, I don't have anything for anybody else. Sound familiar? And after all these things, then it gets to verse 15 and says, They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. Now, it doesn't even speak of homosexuality by itself there. While we know in King James Version it says an abomination, homosexuality is an abomination. I'm not going to exclude it, but I think that we as Christians have set ourselves up too long to say it's their fault, it's their fault, instead of loving them. I didn't get no way man's on that one. I didn't say accept the sin, no more than we can accept the alcoholic sin as though it's a good thing. I'm not saying we accept the sin any more than we can accept a liar when they lie excessively. I'm not saying accept the sin like we can say that a pornographer, it's okay for you to endure your sexual lust and so on and so forth. I'm not saying it's okay, but we, we need to love them as we do everybody else. Amen. What's my point? My point is this. The root of it is the same root that you and I have, pride. And until we humble ourselves before God, we are in danger of wrecking our lives and our nation. Isn't Jesus good? (laughs) Lord, I wish you, for New Year resolution, you would have told me to preach uplifting, encouraging messages that make people happy all the time. You want to know why you can be happy? Stand with me. I'll tell you why you can be happy. Because there's a God that's merciful. There's a God that's forgiving. There's a God that looks at us and said, I'm going to send my son to die on a cross so that as many times as they mess up, as many times as they sin against me, they can get back up and serve me because I love them. Whatever it is that we've been prideful in, whatever we have done to hurt relationships, 
Whatever it is, Scripture says we need to leave that gift on the altar and we need to go and make things right and then come back to the altar and offer our sacrifice to God. Amen? This morning, this is just kind of part one in a two-part series here. This morning, I, I simply just bow your heads with me if you would. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior and I need to and I need to come and humble myself before Him. I need to make Him the Lord of my life. That's me. I've established my own law that I'm living by. I'm not living according to the Word of God. If that's you this morning, just by an uplifted hand, we're going to pray with you right where you're at. I'm not even going to call you out. You say, Pastor, there's some things I need to humble before God. It may be salvation. It may be other areas. You say, I've got pride in my life, Pastor. I need to deal with some pride in my life. If that's you, just raise your hand this morning. We want to pray with you. That's hands all over. Praise God. You know what? It's, it's good to admit it. It's good to recognize that we have some pride in our lives. So do I at times. You know, I've gossiped. I've slandered people. I have. But we've got to seek God this morning. This morning, I'm going to pray for you. Those of you that raised your hands, I'm going to pray for you. But I'm also going to open this up. If anybody just wants to come and seek the Lord around the altars, you can come seek the Lord. I know traditionally that's what we do. We have altar times. It's important for us to have an opportunity to make a decision in light of what's been heard and what's been preached this morning. If you want to come, I'm just going to pray over you if you've raised your hand. If anybody wants to come seek the Lord, Amber's going to lead us in some music here for a little bit. Father, I thank you for these hands that were raised.